Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz, sitting here with my partner in crime and co-host, as always, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? Foltz, I'm feeling good, man. How are you? feel great. I feel excellent. I'm energized about tonight. I'm excited about our topic because our topic tonight is just one that, it's not one that whether you believe or you buy into it or not, it this went down. Yeah, the, we have some hard facts and some evidence that is compelling. And, you know, there's a document in this, and I love documents. Yeah, document that has been declassified by the United States government. And uh, we're going we're gonna to save the actual document probably for a little later in the podcast because we're going to bring you up to speed on what we're talking about. <clears throat> Pardon me. And one of the one of the things that excites me excites us both about this episode tonight is that this is going to give you a, a real glimpse into what our government is actually capable of so if you've ever had any questions about uh, probably you know some of the biggest conspiracy theories out there to date would be jfk 9-11 or anything that you thought uh, the government's not being 100% truthful. Well, if you ever were like, I don't know if our government has a in to do that, I'm pretty sure by the end of tonight's podcast, it's going to be without a shadow of a doubt. Right. If you were ever thinking to yourself, I'm not sure if our government is able to orchestrate a plan on that level like for example the the 9-11 plan uh, you know there ha- there have to be too many people involved in it i don't think it's gonna i don't think that we could they could keep it covered up this document shows a plan that is of grand magnitude that could have been pulled off and faults i mean and a lot of the document it's actually written out in like layman's terms so they don't even use like covert words to try and discuss like mass killings or whatever they spell it right out and subtle beast is here to deliver it to you all tonight with operation northwoods operation northwoods so without further ado we're going to kick this off because uh we got a lot a lot of material to cover tonight so operation northwoods the information center on a secret operation now, President John F. Kennedy took many actions which upset his war-hungry generals and other top business and mafia leaders. One of the least known of these <clears throat> was the top of the plans of the Pentagon's top generals to provoke war in Cuba. The plans were detailed in documents under the title of Operation Northwoods. Now, this was approved by top Pentagon chiefs. Operation Northwoods proposed fabricating terrorism in U.S. cities and killing of innocent people to trick the public into supporting a war against Cuba in the early 1960s. The operation even proposed blowing up a U.S. ship and hijacking planes as a false pretext for war. Now, pretext. What, yeah, so what they're saying there, false pretext for war, is just another way of saying uh, false flag. So, Steve, why don't you, if... if, if our listeners aren't familiar with the term false flag. Why don't you break, uh, give them a quick definition of that? We'll give you a, a dictionary definition. A false flag is a covert operation designed to deceive. The deception creates the appearance of a particular party, group, or nation being responsible for some activity distinguishing the actual source of responsibility. So there you have it straight out of like Webster's Dictionary of what a false flag is. So if they have it in there and they're listing it as a particular party, group, or nation, this should already start to lead you to the conclusion that anything's possible within our nation, our government, foreign nations, foreign governments. 
So, yeah, we're going to get, let, let, let's just jump right in. Operation Northwoods. The U.S. planned fake terror attacks on citizens to create support for a Cuban war. Now, the Joint Chiefs Chair, uh, his last name is Lepmanizer. His view, the country would be far better off if the generals could take over. JFK assassination legend has it that some general presided over the fudgy JFK autopsy. Now, for those military officers who were sitting on the fence, the Kennedy's administration botched the Bay of Pigs invasion. It was the last straw. The Bay of Pigs fiasco broke the dike, said one report at the time. President Kennedy was pillared by some super patriots as a non-win chief. The far right became a fount for proposals born of frustration and put forward in the name of anti-communism. And the active duty commanders played host to anti-communist seminars on their basis and attended or addressed right-wing meetings elsewhere. Now, to just to go back a little bit, uh, the Bay of Pigs fiasco, that was a, it was pretty much the precursor to uh, Operation Northwoods. Uh, 1961, it was proposed that they, uh, the U.S. government wanted to go in and, 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 and invade Cuba, and basically it, it all fell apart, right, Steve? Right. They didn't want to just invade a, a uh, sovereign nation as America, so they got a clandestine group of people that were from Cuba, trained them uh, through the CIA, and then at uh, one day, April 17th, they uh, they launched onto Cuba's shores and- Which is called the Bay of Pigs. Castro knew about it. That was yeah. the thing. Yeah. So these people that we tried to recruit as sympathizers for the US to try and help us win the war against Cuba- some of them were actually loyal to Castro because word got back because we were supposed to bomb these airfields and destroy all kinds of military uh, planes of Cuba, but they weren't on the tarmac. They weren't there. He knew. And he actually went on to uh, Cuban television, which covered the entire island, 24 hours before the attack, telling people that the United States was going to attack us right in the area of the Bay of Pigs. And no less than 24 hours later, it happened, and it all fell apart. I mean, the the operatives that were used were actually arrested by Castro and jailed. Uh, what was it, Steve? It was 1,100 people, I think, that uh, were No, captured. 100, I think. What, what, was it 1,100? Uh, 113 or 1113 right, right. That, were, that were captured and then traded back to the U.S. for a massive amount of aid. Right, like $53 million was paid to, well, basically the United States it was, was- a ransom. Yeah, well, it proves that the United States negotiates with terrorists sometimes. Right, and this whole thing was so important because it was the height of the Cold War. And right. the USSR was- buddying up with Castro because America, who had owned at one point 80% of the land for businesses and even Hershey's. Yep. Hershey owned, grew their cocoa beans there. Owned cocoa beans and sugar refineries. And uh, when we started to pull back from them, they went kind of to the other side. The USSR started buddying up with Castro and then America wasn't having it. So yeah, the USSR had told Castro, we'll buy 80% of all sugar that's produced in your country. So now they have this alignment. The U.S. is seeing an alignment between uh, the USSR and Cuba, which anybody that knows has been down to the, to the Florida Keys is only 90 miles from mainland U.S. 
and the powers that be in this country where that's way too close to have any type of uh, KGB, USSR, uh, you know, warships basically patrolling right down within the, uh, you know, the bay in Florida, you know, the Gulf. And they could they could launch nuclear. They were afraid they could launch nuclear missiles from Cuba, basically ending all life in the United States within three minutes. And so when we made this error with the Bay of Pigs, we thought that that would spark up some type of revolution for the people and that they would become American sympathizers. But in actuality, what happened was they all grew closer together and supported Castro. And right. that became a problem for us. So that's where Operation Northwoods sparked. Correct. So, although no one in Congress could have known it at the time, Lemonizer and the Joint Chiefs had quietly slipped over the edge. Now, according to the secret and long-hidden documents obtained by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, drew up and approved plans for what may be the most corrupt plan ever created by the U.S. government. In the name of anti-communism, they proposed launching a secret and bloody war of terrorism against their own country in order to trick the American public into supporting an ill-conceived war that they intended to launch against Cuba. So we're just, <clears throat> pardon me, we're just getting started. <clears throat> now the code name, Operation Northwoods. The plan, which had been written approval of the chairman and every member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, called for innocent people to be shot on American streets for boats carrying refugees fleeing Cuba <clears throat> to be sunk on the high seas for a wave of violent terrorism to be launched in Washington, D.C., Miami, and elsewhere. People would be framed for bombings they did not commit. Planes would be hijacked. Using phony evidence, all of it would be blamed on Castro, thus giving Lepinesser and his cabal the excuse as well as the public and international backing they need to launch their war. Now, the idea may actually have originated with President Eisenhower in the last days of his administration. Now, with the Cold War hotter than ever and the recent U-2 scandal fresh in the public's memory, the old general wanted to go out with a win. He wanted desperately to invade Cuba in the weeks leading up to Kennedy's inauguration. Now, on January 3rd, he told Lepminisser, I'm sorry that I, I might keep saying this guy's name. He's difficult. Steve, how would you pronounce? Lemnitzer? Yeah. Lemnitzer? Yep. Okay. Lemnitzer <clears throat> and the other aides in his cabinet room that he would move against Castro before the inauguration if only the Cubans gave him a really good excuse. Now, with time growing short, Eisenhower floated an idea. Let's just say if Castro failed to provide that excuse, perhaps, he said, the United States could, quote, think of manufacturing something that could be generally accepted, end quote. What he was suggesting was a pretext, false flag, a bombing, an attack, an act of sabotage carried out secretly against the United States by the United States. Its purpose would be to justify the launching of a war. It was a dangerous suggestion by a desperate president. And he was desperate. He that, was. That, that is the action of a desperate person. Well, if you, if you think back to uh, when, if, if you've seen his speech when he's leaving office, of course he was going to want a win because Eisenhower was directly involved with the whole UFO 
you know, we're, I'm not trying to switch topic, but he was involved in that, and he was getting really, really close to all the information, and then they cut him out because in his eg- exit speech, he's even talking a warning of the military-industrial complex. Be aware of the military-industrial complex. But it sounds like he was just part of it, and now he's just sour grapes because he got cut out because look what he wanted to do. Now, although no such war took place, the idea was not lost on General Lebnitzer. But he and his colleagues were frustrated by Kennedy's failure to authorize their plan and angry that Castro had not provided an excuse to invade. Now, the final straw may have come during a White House meeting on February 26, 1962. Concerned that General Lansdale's various covert action plans under Operation Mongoose were simply becoming more outrageous and going nowhere. Operation Mongoose was... It's basically the same plan that they have in place now, and it's the same plan as like the Bay of Pigs. Right. They just keep changing the operation name until one of our high officials or the president signs off on it. It was like the immediate precursor. Correct. Now, simply becoming more outrageous and going nowhere, Robert Kennedy told <clears throat> told Lansdale to drop all anti-Castro efforts. Instead, Lansdale was ordered to concentrate for the next three months strictly on gathering intelligence about Cuba. It was a humiliating defeat for Lansdale, a man more accustomed to praise than to scorn. So it, was an, it hurt his ego that he wasn't able to go kill innocents, I guess. Now, as the Kennedy brothers appeared to suddenly go soft on Castro, Lemonitzer could see his opportunity to invade Cuba quickly slipping away. The attempts to provoke the Cuban public to revolt seemed dead, and Castro, unfortunately, appeared to have no inclination to launch any attacks against Americans or their property. Lemonitzer and other chiefs knew there was only one option left that would ensure their war. They would have to trick the American public and world opinion into hating Cuba so much that they would not only go along, but would insist that he and his generals launch their war against Castro, world opinion, and the United Nations Forum, said a secret JCS document, should be favorably affected by developing the international image of Cuban government and rash, irresponsible, and as alarming and unpredictable threat to peace of the Western Hemisphere. Well, wow, that just goes right. I mean, this is where it gets good. It is. I mean, this starts to break down. I mean, there's a little bit of remnants. It it really makes me think of 9-11 at this point, too, that they would have to trick the American public and the world opinion into hating insert enemy here so much that they would go not only go along, but would insist. I mean, remember when Bush was down in uh, at ground zero and they raised the American flag and he's like, we are going to respond. And everybody was myself included was like, yeah, let's get those guys from the caves that figured out how to fly planes. (laughs) So, and and that one encompassed all of the middle East. This one is just encompassing a small Island right off of, uh, you know, Florida's coast. Absolutely. Steve, let's go deeper. Operation Northwoods called for a war in which many patriotic Americans and innocent Cubans would die senseless deaths, all to satisfy the egos of twisted generals back in Washington, safe in their taxpayer-financed homes and limousines. One idea seriously considered involved the launch of John Glenn, the first American to orbit the Earth. On February 20th, 1962, Glenn was to lift off from Cape Canaveral, Florida, on his historic journey. 
The flight was to carry the banner of America's virtues of truth, freedom, and democracy into the orbit high over our planet. But Lemnitzer and his chiefs had a different idea. They proposed that Lansdale, should the rocket explode and kill Glenn, the objective is to provide irrevocable proof that the fault lies with the communists in Cuba. That's so ridiculous. I'm, I'm so glad that... that John, I can't believe they would think of that. Yeah, that John Glenn wasn't alive when this actually came out. He was probably like, they were hoping <laughs> that I was going to get blown up and then take advantage of my death to be the deaths of thousands, if not millions of other people. It was the little spark they needed to, to kill all these people. Yeah, so he... Glenn would be like, I'm either going to be an American hero, the first guy to orbit the Earth, or to cause World War III indirectly. <laughs> Let me tell him about this part. You got it. So this would be accomplished, Lemitzer continued, by manufacturing various pieces of evidence which would prove electronic interference on the part of the Cubans. Thus, as NASA prepared to send the first American into space, the Joint Chiefs of Staffs were preparing to use John Glenn's possible death as a pretext or false flag to launch a war. Well, there you have it. There's the first one. Yeah, very first. Jeez. So, well, Glenn lifted, he was lifted into history without mishap, leaving Lemonizer and the Chiefs to begin devising new plots, which they suggested be carried out within the time frame of the next few months. Now, among the actions recommended was a series of well-coordinated incidents to take place in and around the U.S. Navy base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. This included dressing friendly Cubans in Cuban military uniforms and then have them start riots near the main gate of the base. Others would pretend to be saboteurs inside the base. Ammunition would be blown up, fires started, aircraft sabotage, mortars fired at the base with damaged installations. The suggested operations grew progressively more outrageous. Another called for an action similar to the, the infamous incident in February of 1898 when an explosion aboard the battleship Maine in Havana Harbor killed 266 U.S. sailors. Now, although the exact cause of the explosion remained undetermined, it sparked the Spanish-American War with Cuba. Incited by the deadly blast, more than one million men volunteered for duty. Lemnitzer and his generals came up with a similar plan. We blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. They proposed casualty lists in the U.S. newspaper would cause a helpful wave of national indignation. I would say a helpful wave. In, in 1898, a million men volunteered for duty. That's crazy. That's a huge number. But again, go back to uh, when the towers collapsed. They were turning people away because they were saying, you need to go home and think of this. You're, you're heated right now. But man, enlistment really went up. Uh, let's see. There seemed to be no limit to their to their fantasies. We could develop a communist Cuban terror campaign in Miami area, in other Florida cities, and even when Washington, they wrote, the terror campaign could be pointed at Cuban refugees seeking haven in the United States. We could sink a boatload of Cubans on route to Florida. Real or simulated. We could foster attempts on the lives of Cuban refugees in the United States, even to the extent of wounding in instances to be widely publicized. 
That's messed up. Bombings were proposed, false arrests, hijackings, exploding a few plastic bombs in carefully chosen spots, the arrest of Cuban agents, and the release of prepared documents substantiating the Cuban involvement also would be helpful in projecting the idea of the irresponsible government. And we still haven't even got through everything that they wanted to do yet. No, they got they do some more really eerie things because uh, this next part is kind of reminiscent of some things that just happened in 2001. Right. Now, advantage can be taken of the sensitivity of the Dominican Republic Air Force to the intrusions within their national airspace. Cuban B-26 or a C-46 type aircraft could make cane burning raids at night. Soviet bloc incendiaries could be found. This could be coupled with Cuban messages to the communist underground in the Dominican Republic and the Cuban shipments of arms, which would be found or intercepted on the beach. The use of a MiG-type aircraft by U.S. pilots could provide additional provocation. Hijacking attempts against civil air and service craft could appear to continue as harassing measures condoned by the government of Cuba. And among the most elaborate schemes was to create an incident which will which would demonstrate convincingly that a Cuban aircraft was attacked and shot down shot down a chartered civil airline en route from the United States to Jamaica, Guatemala, Panama, or Venezuela. The destination would be chosen only to cause the flight plan to route cross Cuba. The passengers could be a group of college students off of a holiday. <clears throat> or any grouping of persons with a common interest to support a chartering of a non-scheduled flight. Lemonetzer and the chief and the joint chiefs worked out a complex deception. An aircraft an aircraft at Elgin Air Force Base would be painted and numbered as an exact duplicate for a civil registered aircraft belonging to a CGA property organization in the Miami area. At a designated time, the duplicate would be substituted for the actual civil aircraft and would be loaded with the selected passengers, all boarded under carefully prepared aliases. The actual registered aircraft would be converted to a drone, which is just a remotely controlled unmanned aircraft. Takeoff times of the drone aircraft and the actual aircraft would be scheduled to allow a rendezvous south of Florida. Now, we're talking about between 1961 and 1963, they're talking about unmanned piloted plane drones back then. Okay, keep thinking 9-11. Keep going. <laughs> From the rendezvous point, the passenger carrying aircraft will descend to a minimum altitude and go directly into an auxiliary field at Elgin Air Force Base, where arrangements will have been made to evacuate the passengers and return the aircraft to its original status. The drone aircraft, meanwhile, will continue to fly the field to fly the filed flight plan. When over Cuba, the drone will be transmitting on the international distress frequency a mayday. It's messages stating that they are under attack by Cuban MiG aircraft. The transmission will be interrupted by the destruction of that aircraft, and then it will be triggered by a radio signal. This will allow CAO, which is International Civil Aviation Organization radio stations in the Western Hemisphere, to tell the U.S. what has happened to the aircraft instead of the U.S. trying to sell the incident. Wow, 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 wow. That sounds a lot, very reminiscent. I mean, as crazy as that is, I mean, 
I mean, we've been into this topic for a long time, so it doesn't really surprise us. But, man, if you haven't heard this, this should really shock you. I mean, I know that I'm just going to keep going back to, uh, you know, some of the bigger conspiracies like JFK and, and 9-11. But, I mean, if you just listen to some of the things that are said, I mean, rendezvous point for the passenger carrying aircraft will descend to a minimum altitude. And they just go over... Oh, we'll just state that it was a Cuban MiG aircraft and the transmission will be interrupted and then they're going to broadcast the distress frequency of May Day. Well, back then that's what they had, the distress of May Day. But in 2001, they had people on planes talking on Nokia cell phones the size of a notebook talking to people back home saying there's four guys with box cutters up here, but we're planning something. Oh my gosh, we're we're over we're over the water. Oh, you're over the water. You've flown out of JFK how many times are th- and you don't know the New York skyline They're like we're over water somewhere and then the last thing is oh my god. Trust me people, if you, if you didn't think before, think again. That pen- the Pennsylvania um uh, airplane in the 911 story also was reported to be flying low and slow. Uh, directly overhead, right over the treetops. Right. And uh, that could have very easily been a landing in an Air Force base to swap it out. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you look on Google Earth prior to 2001 in that place out uh, near Pittsburgh, that hole was already there. All they did was fire a missile into it or a drone into it just to scorch the earth because it had to be a missile because there was nothing left. There was no planes. There was no body pieces. And uh, i tell you what, human bone doesn't burn under the the heat that would have been radiated from that. Especially if they were flying low and slow right over the treetops, there would have been a huge fuselage with a a wing and a tail. Right. But that would be a great story because not only did did, did, – U.S. mainland get attacked by quote-unquote terrorists. But you know what? We also have a good story. The American people are already fighting back. So they're gathering their support. That was planned from the get-go. It was. Okay. So let's see. Now, let's see about what the next part of their plan is. Now, finally, there was a plan to make it appear that communist Cuban MiGs have destroyed a USAF aircraft over international waters in an unprovoked attack. It was particularly believable operation given the decade of shootdowns that had just taken place. Now, in the final sentence of his letter to Secretary McNamara recommending the operations, Lemnitzer made a grab for even more power, asking the Joint Chiefs be placed in charge of carrying out Operation Northwoods and its invasion. It recommended, and he wrote, and I quote, that this responsibility for both overt and covert military operations be assigned to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. At 2.30 in the afternoon, Tuesday, March 13, 1962, Lemnitzer went over last-minute details of Operation Northwoods with his covert action chief, Brigadier General William H. Craig, and signed the document. He then went to a special meeting in McNamara's office. An hour later, he met with Kennedy's military representative, General Maxwell Taylor. What happened during those meetings is unknown, but three days later, President Kennedy told Lemnitzer that there was virtually no possibility that the U.S. would ever use overt military force in Cuba. And that's the turning point right there. That is. He may have just signed his death warrant. 
Now, because Lemnitzer was relentlessly undeterred and the chiefs of staff persisted virtually to the point of demanding that they be given authority to invade and take over Cuba about a month after submitting Operation Northwoods, they met the quote-unquote tank, as the JCS conference room was called, and agreed on the wording of a tough memorandum to McNamara. The Joint Chiefs of Staff believe that the Cuban problem must be solved in the near future, they wrote. Further, they see no prospect of early success in overthrowing the present communistic regime, either as a result of internal uprising or external political, economic, or psychological pressures. Now, accordingly, they believe the military intervention by the United States will require the overthrow of the present communist regime. Now, Lemnitzer was virtually rabid in his hatred of communism in general, in general, and Castro in particular. Now, the Joint Chiefs of Staff believe that the United States can undertake military intervention in Cuba without the risk of general war. They also believe that the intervention can be accomplished rapidly enough to minimize communist opportunities for solicitation of UN action. However, what Lemnitzer was suggesting was not freeing the Cuban people, who were largely in support of Castro, but imprisoning them in the U.S. military-controlled police state. Forces would assure rapid essential military control of Cuba. Continued police action would be required. Now, in conclusion of Lemnitzer did not mince words, the Joint Chief of Staff recommended that a national policy of early military invention in Cuba be adopted by the U.S. They also recommended that such intervention be undertaken as soon as possible, and preferably before the release of the National Guard and Reserve Forces presently on active duty. By then, McNamara had virtually no confidence in his military chief, and he was rejecting nearly every proposal that the general sent to him. The rejections became so routine, said one of Lemnitzer's former staff officers, that the staff told the general that the situation was putting the military in an embarrassing rut. But Lemnitzer replied, I'm the senior military office. It's my job to state what I believe, and it's his, McNamara, job to approve or disapprove. This guy's a savage. Oh, yeah. He is power hungry. Yeah, he's just, it, it come, kind of, you know, come heck or high water, this guy is, he wants Castro dead in the United States in full possession of Cuba. He's a get it done guy. Yeah. So let, let keep, keep us going, Steve. McNamara's arrogance was astonishing, said Lemnitzer's aide, who knew nothing of Operation Northwoods. He gave General Lemnitzer very short shrift and treated him like a schoolboy. Classic. The general almost stood at attention when he came into the room. Everything was yes, sir, and no, sir. Within months, Lemnitzer was denied a second term as JCS chairman and transferred to Europe as chief of NATO. Years later, President Gerald Ford appointed Lemnitzer a darling of the Republican right, to the president's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board. Lemnitzer's Cuba, Cuba chief, Brigadier General Craig, was also transferred. Promoted to Major General, he spent three years as chief of the Army Security Agency, NSA's military arm. Dang. So they basically, they, they went in a way to kind of like get rid of him, but kept putting him in, in these high political, I mean, chief of NATO? And, uh, I mean... This guy was just, he was going the rounds. I mean, until the day he died, he was going to be pushing this agenda, it seemed like. Because of the secrecy and the 
illegalness of the Operation Northwoods, all details remained hidden for 40 years. Lemnitzer may have thought that all copies of the relevant documents had been destroyed. He was not one to leave compromising material laying around. Following the Bay of Pigs debacle, for example, he ordered Brigadier General David W. Gray, Craig's predecessor as chief of the Cuba Project within the JCS, to destroy all his notes concerning Joint Chiefs of Staff actions and discussions during the period. Gray's meticulous notes were the only detailed official records of what happened within the JCS during that time. According to Gray, Lemnitzer feared a congressional investigation and therefore wanted any encrypting evidence to be destroyed. That's classic because there's there's a movie that was just out recently um, with Tom Cruise where he was a pilot working for the CIA and, uh, and the Reagan administration uh, for the Contras. And... Once the CIA cut ties with Tom Cruise's character, there's a scene where they're in the CIA office that said, anything that's got his name on it goes in the shredder and then into the burner. So, I mean, that's what they do. They try. But you know what? I've always said, if you don't want anything to be known, don't put it down in writing because there's there's always going to be a trace somewhere. There's always going to be a picture of it. There's always going to be something. And you know that it's happening in the current American government because it's headline news still almost every night. Right. Millions exactly. of emails deleted. So with the evidence destroyed, Lemnitzer felt free to lie to Congress. When asked during secret hearings before a Senate committee if he knew of any Pentagon plans for a direct invasion of Cuba, he said he did not. Yet detailed JCS invasion plans had been drawn up even before Kennedy was inaugurated. Additional plans had been developed since. Now, the consummate plan of a man of details also became evasive. Suddenly, and encountering great difficulty in recalling key aspects of the operation, as if he had been out of the country during the period, it was a sorry spectacle. Now, Senator Gore called for Lemnitzer to be fired. We need to shake up the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said. We direly need a new chairman, as well as new members. No one had any idea of Operation Northwoods at the time. That's crazy. He's... He's just trying to cover it up. He is. And because so many documents were destroyed, it was difficult to determine how many senior officials were even aware of Operation Northwoods. And it had been described that the document was signed and fully approved by Lemnitzer and the rest of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and addressed to the Secretary of Defense for his signature. Whether it went beyond McNamara to the President and the Eternal General or the Attorney General is still not known. Which I would have to think that it did. Uh, definitely. I, I mean... Look, every time they've tried this, it's gone all the way up as high as the president, uh, and it, it got shot down. So, I mean, there's not too many people that are being left out of the loop. So, I mean, even after Lemnister lost his job, the Joint Chiefs kept planning the false flag operation, at least into 1963. Now, among their proposals was a deliberate act of war between Cuba and any number of American neighbors. This would give the United States military an excuse to come in on the side of Cuba's adversary and get rid of a contrived Cuban attack on an OAS or Organization of America's member could be set up, said one proposal. And the attack state could be urged to take measures of self-defense and request from U.S. and OAS that the U.S. could almost certainly obtain necessary two-thirds support among OAS members for the collective uh, for action against Cuba. 
So they're just, I mean, they're, they're, they're fully convinced that they can still do it, pull it off. Now, among the nations that were suggested that the United States secretly uh, use were Jamaica and Trinidad Tobago. Both were members of the Commonwealth, thus by secretly attacking them and then blaming Cuba. The United States could lure England into the war against Castro. The report note, any of the contrived situation above an inherently extremely risky in our democratic system in which security can be maintained. After the fact, with great difficulty, if the decision should be made to set up a contrived situation to be one in which participation by U.S. personnel is limited only to the most highly trusted covert personnel, this suggests the infeasibility of the use of military units for any aspect of contrived situation. It's the highest levels right there. It is. Um, The report even suggested secretly paying someone in the Castro government to attack the United States. The only area remaining for ration then would be to bribe one of Castro's subordinate commanders to initiate attack on the U.S. naval base at Guantanamo. The act suggested bribing a foreign nation to launch a violent attack against American military installation. And that's treason. Yeah, it seems like they're they're scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Yeah, I mean they're just like they're, just, they're saying, hey, we can bribe one of Castro's subordinate commanders, uh, or in fact, an entire foreign nation to a, to launch an attack, uh, and then American military installations. It, so that would be treason, right? Well, talk about uh, May of nineteen sixty three a little bit. Assistant Secretary of Defense Paul H. Neitz was sent to the White House proposing a possible scenario whereby an attack on the United States reconnaissance aircraft could be exploited toward the end of affecting the removal of Castro's regime. In the event Cuba attacked a U-2 plane, the plan proposed sending an additional American pilot, this time on dangerous unnecessary low-level reconnaissance missions with the expectations that they would also be shot down, thus provoking a war. The U.S. could undertake various measures designed to stimulate the Cubans to provoke a new incident, said the plan. Neitz, however, did not volunteer to be one of those pilots. They never are. That's just <laughs> like uh, when um, Operation Paperclip, when we brought over all the Nazis to uh, create uh, all the bombs and the rockets the that rockets. would have put uh, the astronauts into space. You never saw none of them guys up in them jaunts. They were like, nah, who, who wants to go up in this rocket that we're unsure if it's going to explode or not? You made it. You you made the rocket. You 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 believe in it, right? Yeah. No. There was there was reports when they sent the first rocket up uh, to into orbit that all the guys that created it got down behind like a big block wall. <laughs> they weren't sure. They're like, he's up there. It's good. That's uh, funny. Oh, so okay, where are we talking about? Neats. Uh, well, one one idea involves sending fighters across the island on harassing reconnaissance and show off missions flaunting our freedom of action and hoping to stir the Cuban military to action. Thus, said the plan, depending above all on whether the Cubans were or could be made to be trigger happy, the development of an initial downing of a reconnaissance plane could lead to the best elimination of Castro, perhaps to the removal of Soviet troops and the installation of a ground inspection in Cuba, or at least to our demonstration of firmness on reconnaissance. About a month later, a low-level flight was made across Cuba, but unfortunately for the Pentagon, instead of bullets, it produced only protest. So, so they convinced somebody of, hey, 
let's do the low level flyover yeah. and see if they'll shoot us down. Yeah, you would have to be the cockiest pilot in the world, but I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'll fly her low and slow. <laughs> you have three quarters <laughs> of a mile. Call the ball. Here we go. Yeah, so, okay. Lemnitzer was dangerous, that we already know. Perhaps even unbalanced right-wing extremist in an extraordinarily sensitive position during a critical period. But Operation Northwoods had also the support of every single member of the Joint's Chief of Staff, and even senior Pentagon official Paul Neitz argued in favor of provoking a phony war with Cuba. The fact that the most senior members of all the service in the Pentagon could be so out of touch with reality and the meaning of democracy would be hidden for 40 years. Yep, this is a, you know, it was a classified document for... 40 years. Unbelievable. Now, retrospect. The documents offer new insight into thinking of the military's star-studded leadership. Now, although they never succeeded in launching America into a phony war with Cuba, they have done many attempts with Vietnam. More than 50,000 Americans and more than 2 million Vietnamese were killed in the, in the Vietnam War. Now, it has been long suspected that the 1964 Gulf of Tonkin incident, we, you've heard us talk about this prior on our podcast, sparked the lead to America's long war in Vietnam. That it was largely staged or provoked by the U.S. officials in order to build up congressional public support for American involvement. Now, over the years, serious questions have been raised about the alleged attack by the North Vietnamese patrol boats on two American destroyers. Now, listen to that sentence alone. North Vietnamese patrol boats tried to take on two American destroyers in the Gulf, but the defenders of the Pentagon have always denied such charges, arguing that the senior official would never engage in such deceit. That doesn't even seem like that would bring upon war. It's like two fishing boats trying to go up against an aircraft carrier. It's just like game, set, match, go back to your little cubbyhole. Right, they would blow those two things up, but, I mean, if it fits the narrative... Yeah, that's all. That may be all you need. That well, this is true. Uh, let's see. Over the question that raised the alleged attack by the North Vietnam patrol boats on two American destroyers in the Gulf. Defenders of the Pentagon have always denied such charges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The senior officials would never engage in such deceit. We know that, of course, they would. Now, however, in light of Operation Northwoods documents. It's at the de at it deceiving the public and trumping up wars for Americans to fight and die was the standard. Now, approved policy at the highest levels of the Pentagon. In fact, the Gulf of Tonkin seems right out of Operation Northwoods playbook. We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. Casually list in the U.S. newspapers cause a helpful wave of indignation. One need only replace Guantanamo Bay with the Tonkin Gulf in Cuba with North Vietnamese New Vietnam and the Gulf of Tonkin incident may or may not have been been staged, managed, but this by the by the Pentagon leadership at the time because they were clearly capable of such deceit. Um, so, but yeah, so they say Guantanamo Bay, Tonkin, or the Gulf of Tonkin, Cuban North Vietnam. We can add in there the assassination of JFK. We can add nine eleven. We can add the Vegas shooting because we we produced the document from from anonymous that proved that it was it wasn't one shooter. It was. A large involvement go back and listen to that show but crazy 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 i mean it, it goes on uh, the public has a duty to watch its government closely and keep it on the right track this is a quote from lieutenant general kenneth 
A. Minahan, the USAF director of the NSA. He said that in June of 1997. Similar thing that I always like to say is, uh, you know, love your country but fear your government because you got guys up there that are just, they're just like you and I, dressed differently, and they're making these horrific decisions for money. In charge of millions of people. Yeah. Federal government making these humongous decisions, and they are just as corrupt, coming up with any reason they can to take over Cuba and go after them when all they, I guess, should have done is go after them. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted Castro, just go get him. I mean, what's going to keep us from just going in there? I mean, with, with the... Our government has such control over the media that they could have sent a ground troop attack into Cuba, took the whole island before anybody could have even been made aware of it. And at the time said, we did this to prevent this ground being taken over by the USSR. And every American would have been like, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you would have just taken that approach or yeah, stated, look, we don't want to, they're going to come down here. If not, they're going to nuke us or there's going to be a ground war and we're all going to be prisoners. Every American would be like, get down there. But it's, I guess it's slippery slope. You, if you start taking over the countries around you, then what separ- separates the Americans from the Nazis? Well, true. True on that. And also, if the USSR was like, what? <laughs> you did that? You thought that we were going to do that? Well, guess what? Now, we're going to come up with something. We're going to make the United States look like, you know, it's just an ongoing thing. And if you invade Cuba... What's that going to make Canada feel like? Like, yeah. like they're next. It's going oh, to make your neighbors pretty rocky. Well, sure. Well, look at Jamaica and and you know and and Tobago. They were probably like, oh, my, we're next. Yep. Because yeah. the because when it comes down to it, the United States government just has to have its hands in everything and have to own just a little bit of something. But if everything that we've discussed so far hasn't been convincing enough, we're about to bust into the actual unclassified document marked top secret special handling uh, by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Washington, D.C., March 13th, 1962. Steve Hit them with the facts. So this has been unclassified, became unclassified after 40 years. Uh, Just as an excerpt from the seventh page, since it would seem desirable to use legitimate provocation as the basis for U.S. military intervention in Cuba, a cover and deception plan to include requisite preliminary actions such as has been developed in response to Task 33C could be executed as an initial effort to provoke Cuban reactions. Harassment plus deceptive actions to convince the Cubans of imminent invasion would be emphasized. Our military posture throughout execution of the plan will allow a rapid change from exercise to intervention if Cuban response justifies. Number two, a series of well-coordinated incidents will be planned to take place in and around the Guantanamo to give genuine appearance of being done by hostile Cuban forces. Unbelievable. Incidents to establish a credible attack, not in chronological order. Number one, start rumors. Many use clandestine radio. Number two, land friendly Cubans in uniform over the fence to stage attack on base. Number three, capture Cuban 
friendly saboteurs inside the base. Friendly in quotation marks. So it's capture Cuban saboteurs inside the base, but the friendly in, in quotation marks means that they're planted there because they were friendly. They're we, working for the U.S. We put them there. Right. Number four, start riots near the base main gate. Friendly Cubans. Now, time is, a, time is an important factor in the resolution of the Cuban problem. Therefore, the plan should be so time-phased that the projects would be operable within the next few few months. And five, in so much as the ultimate objective is to overt military intervention, it is recommended that the primary responsibility for developing military, paramilitary aspects of the plan for both overt and covert military operations be assigned to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So they want to give all control and say of this over to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who we already know are these blutterous, murderous terrorists. And they're just like they're just like foaming at the mouth waiting for the green light. Now here, the list keeps going. Now, one of them, blow up ammunition inside the base. Start fires. Burn aircraft on airbase. Complete sabotage. Launch mortar shells from outside of the base into the base. Some damage to the installations. Capture assault teams approaching from the sea or vicinity of Guantanamo City. To capture the militia group which storms the base. Sabotage ships in the harbor. Large fires. Napalm. Sink ship near harbor entrance. Conduct funerals for mock victims. <laughs> That's low. Mock victims. If you've ever heard the term of a, uh, what are they? What's the term today? They don't use mock victims. They use um, uh, actors. They say something like, um, oh, what's the word? I can't believe it, but you know, no, tragedy actors or something along that line. Oh yeah, I'm with you. So I mean, it has been used. Uh, I'll digress on that for right now. Now, the United States would respond by executing offensive operations to secure water and power supplies, uh, destroying artillery and mortar emplacements which threaten the base, commence large-scale United States military operations. And uh, remember the main incident could be arranged in several forms. We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. We could blow up a drone, unmanned vessel, anywhere in the Cuban waters. We could arrange to cause such incident in the vicinity of Havana or Santiago as a spectacular result of Cuban attack from air or sea or both. The presence of Cuban planes or ships merely investigating the intent of the vessel could fairly be compelling evidence that the ship was taken under attack. The nearness to Havana and Santiago would add credibility, especially to those people that might have heard the blast or even have seen the fire. The U.S. could follow up with air-sea rescue operations covered by U.S. fighters to evacuate remaining members of the non-existent crew. Casualty lists in the U.S. newspapers would cause a helpful wave of national indignation. And they could also develop a communistic Cuban terror campaign in the Miami in Miami and other Florida cities and even Washington. And what's crazy is they're, they're creating such propaganda along the way because they're, the U.S. is going in there to stop these guys that are doing whatever. And then we're going to come in as the heroes again uh, to, to rescue anybody that was affected during this war. They're playing both sides. That's your typical propaganda. A lot of people are named in this, in this document here. All, I mean, all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all of these people put a ton of time into thinking about this plan. 
Yeah. I mean, and if it wasn't for Kennedy denying it and saying we will never have any overt or covert missions to Cuba, it it could have actually happened. But you know what? He almost, Kennedy almost has to be going down as as a martyr, I would think, because had he not done that, imagine how many innocent people would have been killed, sparking a war, uh, you know, more 18-year-olds going off to war and being killed. I mean, yeah. He did the. He had the ultimate sacrifice as he, the president of the United States. He showed some backbone there. Yeah, he wasn't afraid. I mean, he he was well aware of deep state. He was well aware of uh, the alien presence and UFOs and everything going on. And he was just rolling with the punches. And uh, you know, some of you may not know, but I mean, he was a, he was a Catholic president. So in his beliefs, he was like, I am not going to be part of mass suicide for absolutely no reason. Then you speculating that possibly Russia could come in here and attack us. So why don't we just do our jobs as the United States and prevent that from happening? It, it, uh, I think history repeats itself. I think if you fast forward to uh, little Bush, he, he didn't show that backbone. No, no, that's why he had Dick Cheney do that. The people surrounding him were making these same plans. It wasn't really that big of a difference. Right. Less than 40 years later, the the same plan, you know, it didn't happen in in, uh, 62. They just rebranded it. They renamed it. They came up with a couple of different things, made it a a little bit of a grander scale and, and decided to do it on American soil. But, I mean... It seems a lot like 9-11, doesn't it? It sounds right up there. I mean, I can only imagine the uh, in 2001 in the Bush administration and those chief of staffs with, with Dick Cheney running up uh, the vice presidency, which he was given more power to do things that no other vice president has ever been able to do in history or even after that. I don't, I don't think they would continue the, the, the power that they've given him. It's just... It's sick, and it's so reminiscent. All you'd have to do is change uh, Operation Northwoods to Operation 9-11 or Operation uh, New York City. terror in New York. Yeah. One of the details would be uh, drop passport of suspected um, hijacker on New York Street in rubble. Exactly. Or three blocks away, they found the uh, Rolls-Royce engine that was supposed to be part of that plane, but Rolls-Royce wasn't using that particular part in the plane at the time. But you know what? The public bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Take down Building 6. That's where all the documents are housed that we're trying to destroy. Absolutely. I mean, and they were like, oh, and so in case the the planes didn't create enough fire in Building 6, well, they had all those things uh, hooked up with charges ready to go. But Demo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this episode will end up turning into 9-11 if we let it, so <laughs> just go back and, and listen to that. But, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, the, the Northwoods. Yeah, that Project Northwoods is it's, it's so unique to us because it's an unclassified um, Department of Defense stamped um, document that we have in our hands that we can look through and read. It's been around long enough for there to be many uh, comments and commentary on it. Uh, Fultz and I were able to kind of dig it out. Yeah. 
and dig it out and bring it to you. Right, because typically in subtle beast style, a lot of a lot of the information that we come up with is uh, is is theoretical, based upon uh, testimony given by uh, insiders or, or whistleblowers, eyewitnesses. That, yeah, that 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 might not necessarily hold credit credibility to you know the everyday Joe, or they've been discredited by people in the government, like Richard Doty, the when he used to do those kinds of things, and uh, look. We just wanted to do a show where we could show that the things that we talk about that go on in our government, they're not just theories, that they actually are thought out, planned out, wanted to be carried out. Fortunately, this one was stopped, but you know what? 40 years after they've done this, it, it's been known to the public. Look, this is what they did. This is what they do. If you think they're going to stop now, just go put your head in the sand, I guess. It's a 15-page document, folks. Let's put it up on SubtleBeastPodcast.com. We certainly will. We certainly will have that up there. We're going to have uh, we'll have information up on our Facebook page, Subtle Beast Podcast, our Instagram page. Uh, you know, share, share the podcast. We've got so many exciting things coming up in the near future. We can't just let the, the, the cat out of the bag just yet. But, boy, if you're, if you're a fan of Subtle Beast and what we do... We're going to be having a lot, a lot of fun real soon. It's it's fantastic. Uh, Fultz and I meet all the time and yet never run out of things to say to each other. We feel as if we don't meet enough, and uh, we're so excited and happy to be here. Right. So with, with having with said that, we had a lot of fun tonight. We hope that we could shed some light on uh, what our government is really capable of. If you, if you had any doubt, I'm sure if you've been following us from the beginning, you're right on board with us. But uh, what a... What a sick topic, but a fun topic to cover, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, if the, I could feel your excitement on it. I, I felt so excited about it. I, we've been talking about it, and uh, it's it, it came to fruition. It certainly did. So, uh, you know what? I think that's, uh, that's going to be a wrap for uh, Operation Northwoods and Subtle Beast for tonight. So, uh, until next time, I'm Foltz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.